good to see all of you. Welcome to the First Colony. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor here. Let me invite you to open up to the book of Lamentations. That's where we'll be this morning, Lamentations. Uh, I believe we'll be in chapter 3. Well, I know that, but I believe it's page 688 on those black hardbacks underneath the seats around you if you are on those Bibles. Lamentations can be a hard book to find, but we'll be in chapter 3. We're working through the book of Lamentations as part of a series uh, in the season of Lent. If you don't know what a lament is or a complaint, uh, just think about March Madness, okay? Anybody's brackets busted? Yeah, thank you, Wichita State, okay? That's the lament, right? That's the complaint. And Lent is this time uh, where the church prepares for Jesus' resurrection. We remember that sometimes life involves suffering. And sometimes life involves bearing a cross. And so Lent is this time for us to do some soul searching, some repentance as we prepare to celebrate uh, Jesus' death on the cross and then his resurrection. So Lamentations has been a, I believe, wonderful guide for us so far and will continue to be the, uh, that to this morning when we're looking in chapter 3. I want to start off this morning by telling you a story I heard about 10 years ago. Uh, and you've probably had this experience uh, you hear a story, and it gets kind of stuck in your heart and in your mind, and you're kind of haunted by it. This is what happened to me uh, when I heard this. About 10 years ago, I wasn't really following Christ. wasn't a big priority in my life. But I heard this story about a church in North Korea uh, around the 1950s, I believe, is when this occurred. And there was this pastor. His name, I think, was Pastor Kim. And he had a little flock of 27 people, uh, which three years ago would have been a big flock compared to FC Cubed, okay? But they had 27, all right? They're worshiping underground uh, in North Korea, it's illegal to be Christians, and they get caught, they get busted, uh, and they, the state decides they're going to execute uh, Pastor Kim and his little church of 27 people. And so they decide, though, to make an example out of them. And so they bring them to, apparently, this huge arena that's built in Goksan in North Korea. And they, they bring them all up, and there's this crowd in front of them, right? And they say, will you denounce Christ? Will you stop worshiping him? Will you stop being Christians? And, and they kind of look at each other, I guess, I'm assuming, you kind of Make sure everyone's still on the, the team, right? And they said, no, we're not going to denounce Christ. We won't stop worshiping. And they're expecting to be killed at this point, but the executioners had a different idea. So apparently there were four children uh, in their church, and so they, they brought the four children up, and they took a, a rope, and they put a little rope around their little necks, and they asked the parents, let me ask you again, will you stop worshiping Christ? And the parents said we love you we'll see you soon and then looked at the executioner and said no we won't stop worshiping christ and so after that was done they uh, laid down the church and brought out a steamroller apparently again they want to make this big impression and steamroll over this church in front of this group of people um what's more remarkable about the story to me than just kind of the brutal violence of it i get that uh, is as they were being steamrolled after they had just seen this kind of horrific tragedy um apparently legend has it that they were singing a hymn. Uh, and, and people who were there said it was, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, on key, right? I mean, together, they're powerfully singing this hymn. Um, the hymn's called More Love to Thee. Uh, I'll read you some lyrics. It says, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. Let sorrow do its work. Come grief and pain. Sweet are thy messengers, sweet their refrain. When they can sing with me, more love, O Christ, to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. Now, when I first heard this story, I was confused. In fact, I kind of viewed this like group of people as kind of psychopathic, right? Like cultish, like they had drunk the Kool-Aid, right? Like what in the world 
are you doing there? How could you possibly let your children die? And then after all of that, how could you have this kind of strong faith, be singing this hymn as you yourself died? I mean, I thought there was something mentally wrong in the whole picture. Something had gone way off track. If anything, I think would, would shake someone's faith, right? I can't imagine a more kind of dramatic situation than that. And so this story kind of stuck around with me, and I kept kind of wondering what would ever possibly occur to create that kind of mentality, to create that kind of lifestyle, to create that kind of attitude in somebody? How could you possibly sing more love to thee after seeing your children as you're being rolled over? A few years later, I uh, was reading through the scriptures and I came to Lamentations 3, the text we'll be at this morning. And as I was reading Lamentations 3, we'll, we'll see it. In the middle of Lamentations 3, I read this little passage, and all of a sudden I thought, Pastor Kim. And it clicked. And I said, that's how they sang the hymn. That's how they endured that. That's the hope that they had. And so this morning, I hope that we click together. Okay, I want us to look at Lamentations 3. I want us to click it together. Um, like past weeks, we have recorded Lamentations 3. Okay, So you can listen to it. You can read along as you listen if you'd like to. Um, in chapters 1 and 2, if you'll remember, there were two voices. There was a narrator and a kind of personified woman who represents the city. Lamentations is a series of five poems written about the destruction of Babylon and the temple. And so there are these complaints, these laments about all the destruction and pain that God's people have felt. They feel like God's betrayed them. They feel like God has become their enemy. They've seen their children and their friends die. They've seen their whole city and world collapse. And so they're kind of crying out with these heartfelt Poems. So you've had the narrator and the woman who represents the city speaking back and forth. And in chapter 3, a new voice enters into the conversation. Uh, a voice called the man. Uh, the strong man is what the Hebrew connotes. Maybe like a warrior, the protector of the children and the weak. And he's going to come and offer his kind of experience of the pain and destruction that he has experienced. One last thing I want you to be aware of before we listen to Lamentations 3 is as... Uh, Chapters 1 and 2 were acrostics. Do you remember this? A, B, C. Each verse started with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. A, B, C. In chapter 1. In chapter 2, A, B, C. Well, in chapter 3, something changes with this acrostic structure. It's what we call a triple acrostic. So it goes A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 D, D, D. The poet is trying to tell you something's happening in chapter 3. Something significant is about to occur. Open up your eyes, right? If you haven't been paying attention to chapter 2, if it got too depressing and you're like, I just can't do this, the poet's saying, don't miss what happens in the middle of chapter 3. Okay, so here we go. Here's Lamentations 3 as recorded at FC Cube Studios. I am the strong man who has seen affliction by the rod of his overflowing rage. He has led me, and driven me into darkness, not light. Surely against me he has turned, he has turned his hand every day. He has wasted my flesh and my skin, he broke my bones. He has built against me, he has surrounded me with wormwood and weariness. He has set me in dark places like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I shout and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has walled in my way with hewn stones. He has twisted my pathways. 
to me he is a bear lying in wait, a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up like a target for the arrow. He has shot into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock to all my people, their taunt song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has saturated me with wormwood. He has crushed my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul is rejected from peace. I have forgotten goodness. And I said, My eminence has vanished, and my hope from Yahweh. To remember my affliction and my restless wandering is wormwood and gall. My soul remembers continually and sinks down upon me. But this I call to mind, therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh is not finished, for his mercies do not come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Good is Yahweh to those who wait for him and to the soul who seeks him. Good is it to wait without stirring for the salvation of Yahweh. Good is it for the strong man that he bears the yoke in his youth, that he sits alone and is silent when he lays it upon him, that he puts his mouth in the dust, perhaps there is still hope, that he gives his cheek to the smiter, he is filled with insult. For Adonai does not reject forever, for he causes grief, but he has mercy according to the greatness of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of humans. To crush under his feet all prisoners of war, to turn aside the case of the strong man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a human in his cause, Adonai does not see. Who can speak, and it happens, if Adonai does not command? Do not the good and the bad both go out from the mouth of the Most High? What living human will complain, what strong man, about his sin? Let us test and examine thoroughly our ways, and let us turn to Yahweh. Let us lift up our hearts along with our hands to God in the heavens. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not forgiven. You have covered us with anger and pursued us. You have killed and you have not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that prayers cannot pass through. Scum and refuse you have made us in the midst of the peoples. They opened their mouths against us, all our enemies. Dread and the pit have come to us, devastation and breaking. Rivers of tears run down from my eyes over the breaking of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour out without stopping and there is no end, until Yahweh looks down from heaven and sees. My eyes act perversely against me because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies hunted me like a bird without a cause. In the pit they put an end to my life. They threw a stone over me. Waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I called your name, Yahweh, from the bottom of the pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ears from my breathing and my cry for help. You have drawn near on the day I called you, and you 
have said, do not fear. Adonai, you have pleaded the cause of my soul. You have redeemed my life. Yahweh, you have seen my deprivation of justice. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their insults, all their plots against me. The lips of the ones rising and their imaginings are against me all the day. Pay attention to their sitting and their rising. I am their taunt song. Return recompense to them, Yahweh, according to the work of their hands. Give them obstinacy of heart, your curse be upon them. Pursue them in anger and exterminate them from under the heavens of Yahweh. So you have Lamentations chapter 3. Just like in earlier chapters, God does not get the best presentation, okay, in some of these verses, as the strong man describes what he's experienced. You should see the strong man as kind of a soldier, right, who's come out of the destruction. And so Lady Zion has been talking about how awful the destruction of the city has been. And then you have this kind of first-hand account of a guy who was there in the midst of it, who saw the city being leveled, who smelt it, who felt it, who saw his friends perish. And he comes out and he says, I'm the strong man, and I've seen, I've experienced the affliction. We, it was interesting, our scripture reading for the day was uh, from Psalm 23, our Old Testament reading. In verse 1, there's a little play on Psalm 23. It says, I'm the man who's seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. In Psalm 23, God's rod is a comforting thing. The, the strong man says, though, it, it feels like God's turned his back on us. It feels like that rod now is afflicting us. And then he, he rattles off a whole bunch of lists of things that he feels as if God has done against him. Metaphor upon metaphor, he says that God is like a bear who's hiding. And when I least expected it, he jumped out and ripped me to shreds. God's like a lion who forced me off my path and tore me to pieces. He drove his arrow into my kidneys. I think the most graphic of the imagery is found in verse 16. Uh, when the shaman says, He, God, has made my teeth grind on gravel. Uh, what comes to mind when I hear that verse is I saw a movie years ago. I don't remember what movie it is, but it was about like two gangs. It was like a like thug movie, I guess, because I'm kind of a gangster. So um, <laughs> you, you had this movie, and there was this one gang, and they were, I don't know why you're laughing. There was this one gang, and they were trying to kind of pay back this other gang member, okay? And so um, it's violent, okay? So close your ears if you don't want this. Uh, but so they took this guy, right, and they opened his mouth up on a curb, Right? And then crunch. Say what? Is that what it is? History X. That's what it is. There we go. Here we go. And that scene, right? It just goes, I mean, you feel that crunch through your whole body. And I, I think of that when I hear this. And he's saying, that's what God has done to me. It was the kind of pain I felt. That's how. Kind of my world has ended in front of me. We've talked about lamentations being this way for you and I to share our laments, to share our pain, to share the pain of what it's like to just simply live in a world that's fallen and under sin. You either are or you have been and you will be in a state at one point in your life where you're in darkness, where it feels like maybe God himself has even turned his back on you. Can you even relate to that? A period where you don't know if your prayers are being heard. You feel enclosed. You're camped in. And then he goes on and he says, My soul 
is bereft of peace. I don't know what wholeness feels like. And he says, I've forgotten what happiness is. Now, quick note on this word happiness in your ESV <coughs> translation. Um, this is the Hebrew word tov. Say tov with me. Tov. tov, all right? And your Bible uh, would have done you a whole lot better if it would have put good here, okay? Tov is the word for good or beauty or wholeness. It's the word you find in Genesis 1 when God's creating things. God creates, and he says, that's tov. And he creates, and he says, hey, that's pretty impressive too. That's tov. And then finally he creates a man, and he says, that's tov meo. That's very good. He steps back and looks at his creation. The, the, the strong man says, I've forgotten what, what good even is. I have no peace within me. Now this, folks, is clinical depression. Okay? I mean, this is what this is. I don't even remember what peace feels like. I have no sense of what good is anymore. I don't know if you've ever experienced depression. Okay? Um, there's a big difference between being sad or bummed out because something bad in your life happened and then having, like, serious clinical depression. When I was in high school, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. So I've experienced this kind of depression. And, and what depression is, and if I were to explain it, what separates it from just kind of this feeling of sadness is the hopelessness that comes along with it. This sense of it's not just for a few days something bad in my life is occurring. It's the sense of I don't even know if anything good is out there anymore. Things I once enjoyed, I no longer enjoy. I don't know what peace feels like. I can't even remember it. I'm not sure if there's, there's anything out there worth living for. This strong man experiences this pain and this destruction. He comes out and he says, this is how I'm feeling. And he has all these statements about God. And, and he's in this kind of great kind of emotion, emotional state of, of depression. He says, I can't even keep going. My endurance has perished. He says, remembering it makes me more and more bitter. makes me want to throw up. And then there's a change. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And in verse 22, you see why there's this triple acrostic in Lamentations 3. A new kind of thread enters into Lamentations. There has been no hint of hope in Lamentations 1 and 2. If you've been with us for 1 and 2, you can agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. It's just bleak and depressing. There's really no good parts of it, right? There's no, like, this will all work out in the end. It's just pain and pain and pain and pain and death. And then in Lamentations 3, verse 22, as the strong man is recounting his pain and devastation, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I remember something and I have hope. The steadfast love or said of Yahweh, of the Lord, never ceases. It is never finished. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. Great is your faithfulness, Yahweh is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. He ha finds hope because he remembers who God is. He remembers something about God's character, okay? If you would, flip with me to Psalm chapter 85. Keep a finger in Lamentations 3, um, but flip with me to Psalm, actually Psalm 86. I apologize. He remembers something about God's character. And it causes him to have hope. In Psalm 86, verse 15 you see a refrain that you'll find often throughout the Old Testament. The psalmist in Psalm 86 says this, But you, O Lord, are a God who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, or chesed, and faithfulness. That's the kind of God that you are. You see this phrase over and over and over again in the Hebrew Bible when people are describing what God's like, who he's like. It comes from Exodus when God is revealing himself to Moses. He says, hey, understand this about me. I'm a God who's slow to anger. 
who will relent with disaster, whose steadfast love will never finish. This word has said, steadfast love, it's this kind of hard to translate word. It's this kind of relentless pursuit of God towards his creation, towards his people. This kind of love that says, I could give a, I could give a rat's behind, okay, about what you have done or what you will do. I am going to love you and pursue you and follow you. It's a single-minded focus that only the creator of the world could have. And the, the Hebrews called it hased. And it's what kind of fueled their worship and fueled their following of their Lord. He says, this I call to mind and I have hope. Now, nothing's changed in a situation, right? There's, there's no change in a circumstance. Later on, he'll say, you haven't forgiven us. This is not like God's not hearing his prayer. This is just literally, we're still destroyed, right? You haven't yet rescued us from the destruction, but he says, but I remember this about you. I've learned this about you. Maybe in Sunday school as a little Jewish boy, I remember this reading. I've memorized this verse. I call this to mind and I have hope. You're full of steadfast love. Your mercies are new every morning. And then watch what happens. Remember our word? What has he forgotten? One, two, three. Tove. There we go. Very good. Very good. He's forgotten Tove. But then in verse 25, he says, Tove, and in verse 26, he starts with Tove, and then in verse 27, he starts with Tove. Good, good, good. He remembers that God is a God who has steadfast love, and all of a sudden, it seems like he starts remembering some good things. What a good life consists of. Notice what he says. He says, The Lord Yahweh is good to those who wait, to the soul who seeks him, to the one who searches for him. He's good. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man to bear the weight of this pain in his youth. He remembers what's good. The steadfast love of the Lord gives him hope and says, I can be patient. I know that God's love will show up and will win the day. I know this love will show up and win the day. It's good, it's good, it's good. This sense of patience, though, I think is a, a hard concept for us to get, right? We live in, like, the microwave age. We want everything really fast, right? If we have to sit at the fast food drive through for more than five minutes, we're filing a complaint, okay? Better Business Bureau, this is unacceptable. We want it now, we want it now, we want it now. And what I've found, at least, maybe all of you are different, what I've found is that the spiritual life following after Christ is this really slow process, and at times it feels like a crawl, if we're honest, right? And sometimes it feels like we've taken two steps, and then we take a step backwards. And we start walking again. It's good to wait. It's good to seek him. It's good to expect his salvation to show up any day now. Why? Because of who he is. I think of a, 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 like a child learning how to walk. And the child uh, gradually takes more and more steps, right? And the child falls down, and the parents don't get upset at the child, right? He's a stupid kid. I can walk. <laughs> this must be from you, honey. My family, all of us, we're good walkers. No, they go, hey, look, he took a step, right? I mean, in reality, you freak out, right? As if, like, you just won the, the lottery. He took a step! And then, I mean, what's actually happening, right, is he's letting go of the coffee table. It's got a big head, and it just kind of wobbles forward. And put a foot down by reflex, and then you fall, right? And over time, more and more, I mean, it's just controlled falls until finally they're walking, and then they're running. And sometimes I think that's what the Christian life is like, right? We, we're patient. It's a crawl. And we realize that when we fall down, it's, it's not God saying, come on, what are you doing here? I've got all these people who don't have those problems. Say, no, every morning mercies are new. Every morning he's like that. It's good to wait. 
But it's good to be patient. It's good to just keep searching for him, to keep seeking him, even when you've taken a step back, even when you've fallen down and scraped your knees. Now, a couple lessons I think we can learn from Lamentations 3. The first is, um, I think there's going to be a couple of mistakes that maybe we have crept into our mind that, that the poem corrects for us. One of these mistakes is that hope, this, this feeling of hope that God is good and that he will eventually correct our situation or eventually redeem us, fix whatever's wrong in our lives, that hope is mutually exclusive with other emotions like anger or confusion or doubt. I think sometimes as Christians we feel doubt or we feel anger or confusion and we feel like we're being unfaithful, right? This is kind of why we hide it. We're kind of shamed into hiding it. This is one of our talking points through Lamentations. We need to be open with our laments. We need to be open with the pain and the struggles that we go through. We need to share with one another. We need to learn how to suffer with one another. But the strong man here experiences hope and these really negative feelings all at the same time. It's all like jangled, jambled up in his mind, right? In fact, if you were to mash some of these verses, like just twist them around, you'd get a pretty humorous reading of his views on God, okay, and what's going on. So you could do this, ready? He's a bear lying in wait for me. The steadfast love of the Lord never finishes. He's a lion hiding, tearing me to pieces. His mercies never come to an end. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. Great is her faithfulness. Right? I mean, he's got these emotions hand in hand, right? What if hope is found in a room that also has confusion and anger and doubt in it? What if hope's there, but, but anger's in the corner playing cards with doubt? And confusion's over across the, the side just talking to itself. What if it's natural to feel these emotions together? I think if we were to be honest, this is kind of how real life goes, right? I mean, there's no magical transformation in our lives where all of a sudden it's just all hope and all joy and all peace from now. Sometimes we pretend it is, right? I've been saved, I've been baptized, and now I've got a smile, and it never comes off. But in reality, sometimes you switch back and forth. And maybe that's not being unfaithful. Maybe, maybe it's okay for these emotions to coexist together. Maybe that's just how it is. He remembers God's character. And this is what causes him to have hope. Maybe hope and this kind of confusion or anger at God um, aren't mutually exclusive. Now the other mistake I think that, that maybe some of us have let into our minds and into our hearts is this view of God where God is, is for the most part a loving God, but there's this kind of really dark side to him. Right? This kind of shadowy side to God. This kind of side to God where he will kind of curb stomp you right? if you step out of line. And if we're honest, I think at least in my own life, this side of God scares me a lot. And it's this side of God that, that makes me feel like, well, I'm not so sure about this love every morning type thing. I'm not so sure about him not getting that upset when I fall down and scrape my knee. Why would I get back up and keep running and those kind of things. I want you to notice, though, despite what the strong man says about his experience of God, he comes back to the truth of what he knows about God's character, steadfast love. We've talked about this before. All of the statements and limitations about God should not be understood as like prescriptive, descriptive, as like true in a factual sense. Does that make sense? 
it's a, a subjective truth. I feel like this is what he's done to me. I feel this way. And there's space for honest language like that. But then in factual reality truth, he comes to the fact that God's character is full of this love, this relentless pursuit, this mercy that will never end. As Christians, you and I believe that God's character is fully revealed in Jesus. That's why I'm always encouraging people to run back to the Gospels. Go read about Jesus. Go get to know Jesus. John 1 says, God dwelt among us. No one's ever seen God like we've seen him now in Jesus. Everything else pales in comparison to what we've learned about God in Jesus. Hebrews 1 says he's the perfect imprint of his nature. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. There's no other side to God than Jesus. When you see Jesus walking around and preaching, when you see him healing, when you see him hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, when you see him going to people oppressed and put aside by society and spending time with them, restoring their dignity, you're seeing God. When he talks, you're hearing God talk. When he expresses displeasure, you're seeing God express displeasure. When he works, you're seeing God work. Christians, we reveal that um, we believe that God's character has been fully revealed in Jesus. In our, the darkest times in our life, like the, the strong man here, this should be what comes to mind. So we know what God's like. Despite what it feels like, despite what's happened around us, there's this sense, hopefully, that you just can't shake. That God is like Jesus. That in Christ, God has been fully revealed. His work for us, so Romans 5, 8 would say, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. I mean, this is kind of as extravagant love as you can get. It's not when you cleaned yourself up. It's not when you got up off the floor and scraped your knees off and then kept walking that he died for you. It's while you were far away, right? While you had no merit for it, he died for you. It's already been paid. It's already happened, right? You, so you, you're not going to like surprise God with something evil in your life. Where he's like, oh, I did not see that coming. He's, he's, he knew it all, and he paid for it. While you were enemies, he died for you. His, his work reveals God's love for us. When you look at the cross, you're seeing God's heart for you. He would give up his life for you. This is what the Hebrews would call chesed. There's literally nothing that would stop God from pursuing his creation, including dying including suffering. God is revealed in Christ. He's also revealed in his person, the way he acts. I mean, if we wanted to, I could take you to the scene on the cross. I think such a powerful scene where Jesus is being crucified. And do you remember what he says to the people killing him, crucifying him? He, he forgives them. And I think of these times in my life where I'm like, there's no way God could forgive me. There's no way I'm acceptable enough. There's no way I can keep doing this. And then I, I think back to that scene. I'm going, but, but there is God in the flesh being killed saying, I forgive you. Praying, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. And I think the key to Christian formation, what's happened to the strong man, is to get that stuck somewhere inside of us. Where no matter how dark it gets, no matter how terrible our circumstances are, we have to go, I just can't shake the feeling that he's full of said steadfast love. I can't shake the feeling that Jesus is what God is like. I can't shake the feeling that he already died for me while I was an enemy. 
I just can't shake it. God's character is revealed, and this is the great turning point um, for the, the poet here in Lamentations 3. If you look in verse 31 through 33, you have another very interesting kind of phrase here um, that has kind of caught my attention over the past few weeks as I reflect on the text. Uh, 31 says, For Adonai will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Now watch what happens in verse 33, which is literally the center of the poem, Lamentations chapter 3. I mean, literally, it's the smack dab center, okay? Perhaps that's on purpose. He says this about God. He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He does not afflict from his heart. What if here in this verse you have this like very powerful theological gem for you and I to reflect on? This is literally what is in the Hebrew, from his heart, kind of from his seat of will or emotions. The idea here is that while God may be punishing Israel for her sins, he's almost half-hearted about it. This is not like what he wants to do. He's kind of had his arm twisted behind his back. This is his, his, his kind of energy and motivation and true kind of desire to act is not in this type of action. I think parents would understand this when they discipline their kids, right? You discipline your kid, you take the belt, but you don't, you don't want to hurt them. You're, you're not fully into it. I mean, this you shouldn't be. If you are, you can call somebody, just get the kid out of the house, okay? But you shouldn't be taking joy, right, in punishing your children, this shouldn't be like a full heart effort. Like, yes, here we go. It should be like, I don't want to do this, but I think this is best for you here. He doesn't do this out of his heart. I think there's something there for us to, to grasp with. Um, one of the mistakes I think we've made um, when thinking about God's character is to think that, again, there's this good side, this loving side, and then this, this bad, shadowy, thug gangster side where God goes around curb stomping people. I think the scriptures blow that up over and over and over again. And one of the ways we've, we've kept this kind of idea in our Christian kind of circles is with language of holiness and justice and wrath, right? We imagine that God is loving, but then we say, but he's also holy. God is loving, but he's also just. God is loving, but he's also wrathful. He also has wrath. We imagine that there, there are like two poles to God, opposite and equal, it's loving over here and wrath over here, and it depends on which one you're going to get, okay? I would argue very strongly this is a very bad way to think about God. And it's a very bad way to think about his justice and wrath and his holiness, okay? Um, so the scriptures would say in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. And this is a pretty powerful statement, okay, in the scriptures. God is love. In his very being, Okay, in his essence, he is love. This explains the Trinity a little bit, right? As long as God's existed, which has been forever, all he's been doing is loving. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit. The Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. There's this community. This is who God is. There is no anger in God eternally. Does that make sense? It wasn't not there, right? There is no justice in God eternally. There is no sense of wrathful holiness in God eternally. There's only the sense of chesed. I will do whatever it takes to love you and glorify you and enjoy you, to worship you and to lift you up. And this Trinitarian God out of that love creates the world and, and he includes that world in his chesed. The phrase God is love means that 
love is not something that God does. Love is something that God is. And everything that God does is loving. Does that make sense? For you and I to really think, I think, correctly about such things in the scriptures like wrath and judgment and holiness, which, let's be honest, Lamentations talks about God's wrath probably more than any other book in the entire Bible. You've got to do it as a subset of God's love. Why does God do this? Out of his love. God is incapable of acting apart from love. He is love himself. If he were to do something that was not ultimately loving, he would stop being God. This would not be the Trinitarian God. This would not be the God revealed in Jesus. This is kind of kind of a haunting verse for me, right? I mean, there's so much description of God's anger and his coming down on people, and then you've got this little like respite here. He says he doesn't afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. This is half-hearted. This is not the end of the story. There's this, this purpose to it here. And then we might say this, and, and maybe this could be our big idea today. The, the, the strong man in Lamentations 3, I think, shows us that for Christians, for people who believe in the Lord, hope always gets the last word. Does it make sense? Can we say that again? Hope always gets the last word. No matter how dark the circumstance, no matter how evil the thing that you've committed, no matter how much the world around you has been ripped to shreds. Now, hope doesn't deny those realities, right? I mean, this song, it's clear. He's, he's saying, this sucks. This is awful. There's space for you to be honest and go, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. I, I feel like God has completely torn me up and down. But can't shake this feeling that God is full of said that despite my circumstances he is love you could say Robin Perry a theologian says that God's love and his punishment his discipline are asymmetrical which means that they don't line up with each other right his anger is going to run out and his love will keep going. The, the poet says, I'm just waiting for his love to catch up to us right now. No matter how dark the circumstance, no matter how awful the situation, hope always gets the last word um, for people who believe in a God who's been revealed uh, as um, the God who looks and acts and talks and feels like Jesus. If you would, turn with me to Psalm 63. We'll end this morning there. Psalm 63. It's a lot for us in Lamentations 3, I think. In Psalm 63, we'll read the first few verses. This is David. He's in a tough place in his life. David says this, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So he's in a tough place. It's not a good time for David. But... So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. In verse 3 here, because your steadfast love, because your said is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. David says, more important to me, more beneficial to me, more enjoyable to me, more of a priority to me, 
is your love than even breathing, than even other people breathing. Life itself is a, he says, is a small force compared to your love. Your love's strong enough that it, it seems like it could probably bring back life. Like this resurrection thing. Like I'd, I'd rather experience and know and share your love than even enjoy the life that you've blessed me with right now. I think of Pastor Kim. I think of his flock. And I gotta get it now. I get having to watch their four children. Because <coughs> I realized it. It's better than life. Even my children's life at this moment. Relentless pursuit. Love at the core of who God is. All the power of the God who created the entire universe directed towards his creation and love and redemption and salvation. And I can get how the parents sing. Because they got it. I'm sure their faith was shaken. I'm sure they were destroyed. But I'm wondering if, if as they're laying there, they have this thought and they go, I just can't shake the idea that even though this is happening, he's that good. He's better than we could ever possibly imagine. And this will all be worth it. I think the point of Christian formation, I think maybe one of the best goals we could have as Christians would be to get those kind of truths so deep down inside of our core, inside of our soul, that again, no matter what happens, right, when the whole world gets ripped apart at the seams, you're sitting there in ashes, you're crying, I mean, it's awful. No one's denying the pain, right? But you go, despite how awful it is, I can't shake it. I just can't shake it. He is love. And I'll wait. And I'll worship. And I'll expect. More love to thee. More love to thee. May we, as we read Lamentations, reflect in this Lent season and worship, get what Pastor Kim and his flock got. May we click like the strong man clicks here. This I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Would you pray with me?